Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 20 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. As much as I hold a special place in my heart for odd numbers, there's something about those zero-ending landmark numbers to take pause and to reflect. 20 episodes. That feels like a good accomplishment and sticking to the plan with only a few weeks missed here and there in these past five months. And I'm grateful for the opportunity and the accountability that comes from putting this out there, from knowing that there are folks who listen and hoping that that listenership continues to grow and the possibility of expanding the osteopathic concept is infinite. Seeing how these principles can apply in obvious ways, in unexpected ways, in creative ways to all aspects of life to truly support the health of all things. As I researched the topic I wanted to discuss today, yet again, I was intrigued and inspired and gained further questions about the idea of health and how broad it can be. And I'm excited to share with you some of these resources during the podcast and perhaps expanding on them in writing. And I did get a blog post up on the website last week, so I hope you'll read that when you have time. And also encouraged to continue this journey of learning personally and see how I can continue to expand my influence for the betterment of my community. So the topic I'd like to discuss today, I'm entitling Resilience and Resourcefulness. And one interesting tidbit came up uh, when I was investigating this, that there is a website called resourcesforresilience.com. And it's based in North Carolina, and I would encourage you to look there. And as always, it's fascinating to me when these topics come up and seeing what already exists. You're not reinventing the wheel, but becoming an amplifier for positive things that are already happening and how to encourage those who are already doing that and to help others to see that some tracks have been laid, some trails have been blazed, and we might not have to do quite as much dirty work to get there thanks to these organizations and individuals who have taken the initiative ahead of us and to build on that and to support them and to bring it back to those who have begun 
and I'll try to keep it on track here, but there may be a few tangents because it's been an interesting time and a busy week. And when I think about that encouragement in the leadership and learning and building from and with and for one another, I have to take a moment and think about the USA women's national team who won the FIFA World Cup this past week. And the leading international goal scorer, Abby Wambach, who wrote the book Wolfpack and talks about you know, when you score a goal, when you have a victory, when you're successful, you know, who are you pointing to? And that was her trademark. You know, whenever she did something positive, when she scored a goal, made a great play, she was pointing to her team and to her supporters in the stands and always acknowledging that this success wasn't just hers. It was a collective success and that it raised the experience of everyone. You know, success for one person wasn't detracting from the success of others. They could be synergistic in building. And I really want to take that collective spirit into this. And interestingly, that was really where I began conceptualizing this concept but I talked a little bit about connection in the collective previously. And so I switched the formality of the topic a bit. But that will be a, an undercurrent of all of this as we talk about resilience and resourcefulness. And where this version of the topic came from was a conversation with my sister. As we were just kind of reviewing the events of the year and where we were and how we were. And her kind of voicing concern for me in what's been a rather tumultuous year. You know, if we listed all the different to and fro's and transitions and big and little changes in our lives over the past now 13 months, it could look pretty traumatic. And there were moments that certainly were. But in my commentary to her, and it's really come into more clarity probably in these last quarter of this year was that I felt like I was making some good progress and doing a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, good work. And one of the key pieces was reading a lot of books of various types, many in the self-empowerment and awakening. I've shared some of them with you here. You know, some different inspirational biographies or autobiographies Occasionally, a fiction book. I try to get it in there just to appreciate the artistic nature of writing. But I'd really truly feel like I've gained a lot of perspective from that. And shortly after having this conversation with her a day or two, this article pops up as it tends to. Although our conversation was largely in text, so it wouldn't have been subject to some of the microphone listening in that phones um, seem to manage to accomplish was from the Globe and Mail, a resource I hadn't really read much from, by an author called Michael Ungar, who holds a chair in Canada studying resilience and resilient communities, entitled, Put Down the Self-Help Books, Resilience is Not a DIY Endeavor. And this was published on May 25th, 2019. And Michael Ungar is also the author of a book 
which I found to be somewhat ironic as it was talking about putting down the books, called Change Your World, The Science of Resilience and the True Path to Success, which I've been trying to minimize my purchase of books because I still have a long list I'm going to have to investigate because I really appreciated this article, which was adapted from this book. And in this, he... So let me back up. First of all, when I saw the title, I thought, man, maybe what I just said was totally not accurate. I'm telling her I did all this good work and read all these books and was making progress and feeling enlightened. But when I read his article and when I will read his book soon, and I'll report back to you when I do, I was encouraged because it felt like it was aligning with what I was discussing with my sister and something that often gets overlooked or misinterpreted in this concept of developing resilience. And I'll distill it down. I do think the article's definitely worth reading and I'll put some links um, in the show notes here that as much as we want resilience to be this internal development and positive mindset and how to bounce back that's only a piece of it and it's actually a less meaningful piece than having the appropriate external resources to be able to survive trauma or hardship in any form and I sat with that and I thought about that and I reflect on the conversation I had with my sister and interestingly on this gratitude journal I've been keeping for my year since my birthday in February, since the launch of this podcast as well. And when I reflect on those things that come up as gratitudes, they are more often than not, I write four each day and I would say easily three of the four and usually four of the four are outside of me, the things that I'm grateful for. And they come up of things that I appreciate and I'm grateful for about myself internally and specifically. But for the most part, the for these things and people and opportunities and resources outside of me that make my day-to-day life possible, that make the extraordinary moments in my life possible. And that's really what's been the biggest part of this past year. And when I talk about awareness and awakenings and enlightenments, those perhaps start from within. And that's been an important piece of this past year for me of being at home with myself, being at peace with myself, recognizing components I can control and how I relate to my external world. But the majority of the growth and just the unveiling of this past year has been about relationships and seeing them through all stages of my life and how they were and how they are and what they meant in various moments and challenges in my life. And seeing what remarkable resources I've had, particularly in this past year, you know, having a family that 
with all the to and fro was stable in there and understanding and appreciative and encouraging and having friends who literally took us in when we made our return journey back to Oregon, our house stayed in Michigan and we were essentially homeless in Oregon and at the same time were housed many times over by gracious friends who opened their spaces and cooked with us and kept our kids and just made it seamless. Um, And there are many who don't have access to such things. And that's been a huge part of my professional life. And I've been cultivating it personally and seeking ways to manifest it externally And it can be challenging. And so to that end, I'm entering the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship in this next year to gain an understanding of our political systems and an awareness and a capacity to author them and to advocate for them and to communicate directly with elected officials and maybe potentially for the first time in my life, it's come up as a consideration to consider participating in that arena because while well, I recognized that there is much importance of the day-to-day one-on-one clinical work and community programs on a grassroots level, there's still much that happens at the governmental level and we're gaining on having good people in office who still hold the common good as their primary measure, but we need more of them. And I do think we need more of them who are part of the medical community if we're considering how to advocate best for health. So I'm going to see, you know, this is me dipping my toe in the water to gain education and experience and greater capacity to be a leader and to be an advocate. And we'll see where that goes. And that was maybe two or three tangents. But I'm going to circle back to this article. And I've touched on some of these concepts. But I want to honor some of what Michael Unger had to say. And that the bottom line is we need resources. We can do all the self-help and the awareness and mindset. But if we don't have basic resources... If our families, our workplaces, our communities, our healthcare providers, our governments fail to provide sufficient care and support, they are almost next to worthless, those internal resources. If we don't have the framework on which to hang that positive attitude and awareness and mindset, how do we move forward? What traction do we have? I mentioned the book, The Orchid and the Dandelion, previously looking at why some children thrive and some barely survive. And much has to do with environment and resources. And one concept that I sat and read again and again in this article was that in traumatic situations, you know, natural disasters, big life shifts or losses. If push comes to shove and you have neither, 
the external resources or the appropriate mindset, your better bet is to try to get those external resources. Get a settlement from your insurance company, you know, find the healthcare resources or you know, backup plans or endowments that you need for those. Housing, food, basic things have to come first or at least alongside making those internal changes. He also notes that resource individuals do far better than individuals without resources, no matter how rugged the latter might be. And I think we sometimes, in the world of privilege and in having the majority of those resources that we need, or at least the basic ones, where we try to say, well, if you just had this mindset, if you just worked a little harder, if you, you know, you're in control of these things. But if you don't have those basics, it can be next to impossible to move forward. And some of the recommendations, because again, we can paint the picture of the challenges of this, and now it's what do we do to move forward and to help in this environment, is that the services must be tailored to the individual needs, shaping the right environment for a troubled child, putting the necessary help in front of them, even if they're not there yet, if they don't have the mindset yet, putting the tools that are appropriate for them, meeting them where they are, understanding the cultural challenges, the schedule challenges, the financial challenges that might be in the way, and tailoring them to those specific individuals gives them a true shot at making use of it and moving forward with the help that can be provided to them. And what does all this has to do with osteopathy? I would say everything, because it's about health and structure and function and the capacity for self-healing until things get in the way. And the lack of resources is certainly one of the most massive obstacles we face in our modern current society. And if we're talking about removing obstructions to health and osteopathy, we think about it as far as hands-on treatment for the inner restrictions that can limit physiology. But again, we are one giant organism. And if we think of the wholeness of our community and our world and our universe, removing those barriers to health in the environment between that person and the resources or creating a bridge to them or a pathway so that the flow can happen, putting the right structure in so they can find the optimal function of their family, community, society, job, school, whatever aspect of their life we're considering, that's as osteopathic as it gets. And that's what I've been trying to say through these episodes. It's what I wrote when I tried to create community wellness centers in the past. It's what I've implemented in part in the gym. It's what we test piloted in this clinic in Northern Michigan. And it's where it will continue to go and until I find the right way for it to manifest you know, live where I live, to be reproducible in that it's going to take me listening in the community for what those specific people truly need. And my challenge to you is I've been trying to give more direct what can you do tangibly from these podcasts is to think about what resources are you yourself lacking? And be honest about that. Go as basic as you need to. 
and then move forward. You know, look at your goals. What are the things getting in the way of you getting there? What resources do you need? And being honest about that and thinking about ways to cultivate them. What resources do you have in abundance? Because certainly, for the majority of us, we have so much in the way of material possessions, access to food, financial, talent, connections, all of that. Which do we have in abundance? Where can we contribute those? Who can benefit from those resources? Things we might not even see is so important. But again, think back to those basic human needs. Where can we be a provider of resources to others? Where do you need further education? And that's what's come up with me as far as this health policy fellowship. I need to know more about how policy is written. You know, what is seen as the true needs in the government? Are they accurate? Do they reflect the needs of the people? What education do you need? Would you like? Would you be willing to accept? Where are your hangups? Where are you unwilling to have further conversations? That's probably where you might need to listen a little more. And where can you take a more active role? So I said I'm taking on this fellowship, and that's a year-long commitment where I'm going to travel and read and write and learn. And I'm hoping to share this experience pretty directly with you over the course of the next year. Where can you be more active? on a minor or a major scale. So those are the questions I bring to you. And these are reinforced for me in some of the learnings I pulled up as I researched resilience. And one that came up and one that resonated with me was in Psychology Today by David Johnson, who is an education doctorate, called Democracy Depends on Promoting the Common Good. And this was published February 2018. And this is something I've always struggled with. And this is another genre of book I've read more in the last few years than I have at any point in my life learning about these government intricacies and, in my opinion, where it all went wrong. You know, where my understanding was that we were here for the collective, you know, that we do better when we do better. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and what I alluded to in Abby Wambach's book, that success for one should be supplementary and synergistic for the rest of us and not, oh man, you know, they got that and I didn't. And I've been there, you know, pretty recently. I had a lecture submission of mine rejection on the same day. A colleague posted that her application at the same conference was accepted. And interestingly, they looked quite similar on paper. And I think why her and not me? And I paused and I reframed and I said, thank goodness her. And we put the same topics out there and someone's speaking about it and it's going to be heard and likely she's helping blaze the trails and maybe next year I'll be in. Or maybe that wasn't my place to speak. And maybe I need to go and listen instead at that point and be inspired. And I challenge you to catch yourself in those moments when something comes along and your instinct is to see and think, well, why them and not me? And remember that in abundance mindset, there's always enough for everyone. And how do we gain from that? And I'll run briefly through some of the historical concepts of common good that David Johnson pointed out in his article. 
and that Plato noted that the common good was anything that promotes social harmony, cooperation, and friendship among citizens. So wouldn't that be delightful? And some of my happiest moments in this last quarter of the year have been in community and seeing those aspects, social harmony, cooperation, friendship among the citizens of my community. Socrates noted the common good happening when citizens felt pleasure when others succeeded and pain when others fail. And this goes to that abundance mindset that I was just alluding to where we should feel the glory of someone else's victory and the pain of their defeat because it affects us all and to that common thread of humanity. You know, if we feel that for one another, we'll be more inclined to be supportive and to be compassionate and have empathy when we should for others. Machiavelli noted the virtue of common good and the degree to which citizens put the good of all over their individual benefit. And seeing that, again, we do better when we all do better. More recent, philosopher Rawls, R-A-W-L-S, noted that with the common good, we should ensure that every citizen has equal liberties and opportunity to achieve and ensure that social and economic factors favor the least advantaged citizens. So if we consider they're only as strong as our weakest link, we need to support and start with those who have the least. And how do we build them up and help them to gain resilience to strengthen our society overall? And his recommendations, again, the active takeaways, are that common goals need to be highlighted. What are the things we're all working for together? Is it peace? Is it clean water? Is it breathable air? Is it education? Is it access to employment at a livable wage? What are the common goals that are for all of us that need to be highlighted so we can see what we're clearly all working for together? Number two, citizens understand that they have a common fate. Again, that we will rise up or we will bottom out together. And how do we keep that at the forefront of our mindset? Number three, the moral orientation of citizens must include valuing the common good. So we all have to believe in it. How can you adapt those concepts to your life today? The last concept of resilience and resources that I will leave with you and with myself as I move forward was from the Scientific World Journal in May 2012. Lee was the primary author entitled Resilience as a Positive Youth Development Construct, a Conceptual Review. And the main takeaway, this is a lengthier article written in NIH-type format, And well worth the read, if you're willing to invest the time. But the piece I wanted to take away from it was this sentence. Therefore, an operational definition of resilience must encompass all of the key characteristics of resilience and include the components of capacity, process, and result. And it went through in detail considering resilience as capacity, continuing resilience as a process, and continuing resilience as a result. And keeping the nuance of that term that's being used a lot today, 
as we explore ACEs, adverse childhood events, and their impact on health as a public health crisis. But resilience is this active and dynamic and duplicitous concept. And it is internal, yes, but it is also so external and requires these resources. And it is our job you know, as osteopathic physicians to be advocates for the resilience of the health of our patients internally we're looking at all the physiological processes in their body and how they bounce back from exposures and illnesses. And externally, what is their relationship to their community around them? What are the barriers that need to be removed for their health to be optimally expressed? And then as our communities, as physicians, we are leaders in society and we've taken some knocks as far as, you know, respect or the nobility of the profession And I say our job is to rise above that and to continue to seek optimal education and continue to learn and continue to use our voices in a positive way to advocate for the health of all things. And so I hope you'll join me in learning more about your own resilience. How are you building that internally? What is the resource network that you have? What are some resources that you're lacking that you can further explore. And how we can continue to take a more active role in nurturing and culture, cultivating the health of the culture in which we live. I'll go back over these few resources for you, for your education and information. And I look forward to sharing my experience in the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship with you over the next year. And I'll have further details on how extensive that will be. So resourcesforresilience.com, organization in North Carolina leading the way, might give you some ideas for how to be a leader in resilience in your community. Scientific World Journal, May 2012, Resilience as a Positive Youth Development Construct, a Conceptual Review. Article in Psychology Today by David Johnson in February 2018, Considering Democracy and the Promotion of the Common Good. In the most recent, from the Globe and Mail by Michael Ungar, about resilience in his book, which I haven't read yet, but I will be obtaining as soon as I can, Change Your World, The Science of Resilience and the True Path to Success. And those questions I pose to you as you move into this week for consideration were what resources are you lacking? Which do you have in abundance? Where can you contribute? Where do you need further education? And where can you take a more active role? Let's build our resilience and our resourcefulness for ourselves and for each other. And I look forward to joining you again for this osteopathic life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. Thank you for listening.